The Keep Birth Wild podcast acknowledges the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners and custodians of the land, sky and waters on which this project is produced, and we pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. We extend this respect to all First Nations people on whose country we live, birth and raise children. We acknowledge the ongoing leadership, resilience and commitment of First Nations people who continue to fight for their right to safe and culturally appropriate experiences of pregnancy, birth and postpartum, and we commit to continuing to explore our own role in that journey. Lastly, we honour and celebrate the ancient birthing knowledge and practices that have existed on this country for thousands of years. May this wisdom continue to nurture life for many generations to come. Welcome to the Keep Birth Wild podcast. My name is Indy and through this series I'll be speaking to women who plan to birth their babies at home. Join me to hear home birth mothers sharing their stories of pregnancy, birth and postpartum. In this episode Leah shares the story of her first baby Sunny's birth. Leah had one earlier pregnancy which she chose to terminate and her pregnancy with Sunny was another surprise but a joyful and much wanted one this time around. Leah is a midwife herself so she shares a little bit about her work, what led her to choose home birth and how she chose a birth team. She experienced a nasty candida infection during her pregnancy and was also diagnosed with gestational diabetes so we chat about how those issues impacted her pregnancy and how she managed them naturally. COVID-19 restrictions came into place during Leah's pregnancy, so she shares about how her friends were able to create a beautiful mother blessing for her remotely and how COVID impacted her postpartum. As a midwife, Leah was very well aware that first-time births are often overdue and can be long, so she was quite surprised when Sunny arrived at 38 weeks following a fast labour. This is such a special birth story, which is a pleasure to hear, and I also recommend jumping onto the Keep Birth Wild website and having a look at the photos because they are just gorgeous. Hi, Leah. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? I'm really well. Thank you for having me. Um, I was just thinking earlier that it's really nice to have the opportunity to um, speak on here because I got so much um, help, like inspiration from hearing other women when I was pregnant. So it's nice to offer that back. So thank you for um, creating the space. Mm, Such a pleasure. (laughs) Would you like to start by sharing a little bit about yourself and your family? And I know you're a midwife as well, so maybe a little bit about what you do for work too. Yeah, sure. Um, So my name's Leah and I live in North Warrandyte on Wurundjeri country with my nine-month-old baby and my partner, Bryn. Um, And, yeah, like you said, I'm a midwife. Um, I've been a midwife for four and a bit years now. Um, and I wanted to do it since I was 12, so feels like I've been a midwife for a long time. <laughs> um, and, yeah, basically I've been spending um, the majority of my career kind of um, investigating physiological birth and trying to facilitate um, just natural birth and how the body um, can birth without interventions basically and I have spent a lot of my career in a tertiary hospital and so that's been interesting trying to get into continuity programs basically so I can move away from the more medicalized model which was definitely the um the place that I was practicing Mm. 
Yeah, I think um, I, I've met you a long time ago at one of Steffi's birth circles, and I think at that time you were just maybe you'd just gotten your first job in a um, in one of the midwifery programs. Mm. Um, I, I'm not sure what they call like group practice or something like that. Oh, and cool! We're excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, going back to your pregnancy with Sunny, how did his conception come about? Was he a um, a planned baby? He wasn't a planned baby. Um, Oh, look, he was and he wasn't. Um, we, My partner and I hadn't been together for very long. We were very in love um, and had just had several conversations about kids and when that might happen and, you know, talking about it several years' time and all of that. And then, um, uh, yeah, we probably got pregnant the next week, accidentally. <laughs> um, um, but, yeah, and it was quite a... Yeah, quite a shock, um, but at the same time we never really entertained the idea of not having a baby. Um, and actually we, you know, when we first found out it was, oh, my goodness, just absolute shock. And then we, like half, I don't know, half an hour into the conversation, I was like, oh, do we need to talk about if this is going to happen or not? <laughs> we skipped over that bit. Um, and I'd had one termination previously in 2017. Um and that had been a really different experience in that when I did get pregnant, I was immediately very certain that that's not what I, it wasn't the right time um, and ended up, turned out it wasn't the right person. Um, but in the same sense, had a lot of clarity with that decision. So um, it was nice to be in a very similar situation, but feel like everything, you know, wasn't planned, but um, everything was very supportive for that to happen. Mm. Amazing. And, yeah, obviously being a midwife yourself and already having all those years of um, working towards supporting women to have uninterrupted physiological births, you must have known a fair bit about what your options were. So, um, yeah, how was the decision to have a home birth if if there was a decision that needed to be made at all? <laughs> um, yeah, it wasn't really it was a decision. I It was kind of a decision I made probably... I don't know, a long, long time prior that um, I wanted a home birth and my partner was completely on board with that. Um, but I did, I still found the process of finding a midwife and getting referrals and all of that quite um, confusing and difficult despite all of my knowledge. It just really highlighted to me how challenging that would be for other women. Um, and, yeah, we just, what did we do? We... I had lots of contacts, lots of home birth midwives that I knew of. Um, so we met with a couple of them. And to be honest, it was actually quite challenging to pick the midwives that we wanted because there were so many good options, um, which was really, I was like hyper aware that that was a really big privilege for us. Um, yeah, and we, um, the midwives we settled on um, were the Yarra Valley midwives that I know you had as well. I love the women on this podcast have and they were amazing um, and the reason we kind of ended up choosing them was because they really put the onus on us as a unit my partner and I being the ones that were bringing this baby in and that once the pregnancy was over we wouldn't have much to do with them and we needed to be solid and I just thought that was um, a really unique and really important thing to have in our care providers um, and that, that my partner, Bryn, felt 
safe and comfortable with them. Um, yeah, that's mm. how we settled on them. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> um, and how were those first um, early weeks of pregnancy? Did you have any kind of symptoms come up? Uh, yeah, so I had my wisdom teeth removed um, when I would have been one or two weeks pregnant. Um, so the symptoms were initially masked by how awful I was feeling with that. Um, and then once I was starting to feel better, I got out of bed and realised that I'd actually been nauseous for three days and I had put it down to being on painkillers that I normally wouldn't be. Um, and then, yeah, I realised that, oh, hang on, I'm not using the painkillers and I'm still not feeling great. Um and thought, oh, my God, I might be pregnant. And then I remember looking at my breasts in the mirror and just being like, uh-oh. <laughs> I've also been really tender and they're, like, four times the size. I felt like Dolly Parton. Um, and, yeah, I kind of knew straight away, really. Um, and, yeah, we did a test and, sure enough, I was pregnant and that nausea um, was, like, definitely fairly mild um, comparatively um, with other women's experiences but yeah it was pretty awful and it went till I think it was pretty much 12 weeks on the dot I think um, and I think what complicated that was that I was on call and so I was often you know being called in at uh, 1 or 2 a.m in the morning and working for 12 hours on my feet um, and not being able to implement a lot of the things that can help, like having regular snacks and, uh, yeah, all of that. So that was hard work. But, um, yeah, once I got to the 12-week mark, it all kind of dissipated, which I was very relieved about. Mm. Yeah. yeah, amazing. Oh, that would have been so hard. I, <laughs> I wasn't doing that and I already struggled with the kind of constant nausea and, and just being so tired, Yeah. let alone having to get up in the middle of the night and go into the hospital to work. Yeah, it was blunt. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we got through. <laughs> yeah, yep. And then, um, yeah, you obviously had... Um, a lot of knowledge and understanding about birth already, but did you opt to do any kind of additional birth education during your pregnancy or just what was offered by the midwives? Yeah, so we decided to um, do some classes with another friend and colleague of mine, Di Didos, who works in Fitzroy. Um, and I, I thought... I knew that I could do, like, Bryn knows a lot because I always talk about birth and um, I knew he would be all right if we didn't do classes but I thought it might be really helpful for him to hear it from someone else and maybe hear it in a different way and things might land with him differently. Um, yeah, so we chose to go and do them in Fitzroy and actually as it happened, I think we missed, there's, there were four sessions and we missed at least one or two but the first few were really fantastic. Um, and we got to go with really close friends of ours that had also um, happened to fall pregnant around the same time. So that was really nice. And, and it was, yeah, it was really good. It just stimulated conversations between Bryn and I on the drive home that I don't know if we would have had otherwise. And his personality is very, um, he's very relaxed and very like, oh, we'll see, you know, we'll be fine. You know what you're doing. Um, and that worried me a bit because I, I thought if I don't, if I miss something and he doesn't know about it, the onus is on me. 
whereas having those conversations um, and information from someone else felt really good. I felt more secure, I guess. Mm. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. Mm. And how did the rest of your pregnancy kind of um, pan out health-wise and anything special that you kind of did to celebrate your pregnancy or prepare for um, bringing a little baby into the world? Yeah, I did, I did lots of things. Um, I... Well, for starters, I was terrible with the, the normal things you do, like the compliance with um, <laughs> taking my multivitamins and all that. But I did go to regular yoga sessions um, with another good friend, um, which were really beautiful and held similarly to a circle um, in that there was just a little bit of um, kind of like all the mats were set up in a circle and it was very... Um, there was always a reflection at the beginning of how we were doing in our pregnancy and it was really nice to connect in with other women that were at similar stages. Um, yeah, and that it was also nice to do something regularly and consistent, um, consistently throughout, so I did that. Um, and I also had was really, really fortunate and a friend of mine held a blessing day for me, so um, a... A day that was just about kind of reverence for the fact that I was pregnant and I was moving out of a time in my life of um, my being my maidenhood and just doing my own thing and becoming a mother. Um, and it kind of COVID nineteen was just kind of taking off in Melbourne. Taking off is probably not the right, right expression. <laughs> um, but I wasn't able to have. I'd always envisaged having. Um, a lot of friends there and family and I'd been running these for women previously so I had kind of been thinking about it for a long time about how I'd like it to be and um, I couldn't do that but I um, was very lucky that yeah my best friend's also a midwife and has been running these circles too and so she very cleverly um, went and got messages and um, got people to write little letters basically um, so that they were then read out to me on the day and I just felt so in a, in a way I actually felt like it was even better because I didn't have to have didn't have to be conscious of how I was responding to it I could just be let it all just completely wash over me um, and yeah we just did a couple of really simple beautiful processes um, like with threaded amber beads on a necklace as those um, little words were being little letters and words were being read out to me and that necklace was then um, gifted to me as something to wear in my labour, uh, which was magic and I actually didn't end up wearing it in labour, funnily enough, but um, I've hardly taken it off since Sunny was born. So, so yeah, it still served a wonderful purpose. Oh, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And, and um, Sorry, you go. Just remembered, sorry, the second part of your question <laughs> that I did have, um, I had a very um, normal and I was felt very well in my pregnancy, particularly emotionally, um, as turbulent as it can be at times, but I did have a couple of um, issues and that was just I developed a, a, a gut infection. It was candida, which is also known as thrush, um, but it was quite severe. So it had gotten into my... Um, my intestinal system and so I was very bloated and nauseous um, and had other symptoms of thrush as well and a lot of medications that you can take um, and even herbs that you can take to support yourself and um, you 
have during pregnancy. So I went on the candida diet. Anyone who's been on that's very, very, it's no dairy, no caffeine, um, no like potato, sweet potato. Basically, I was just eating salad and meat, um, which was great, but it definitely wasn't what I imagined my pregnancy diet would look like. I was thinking more like oodles and croissants <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and pastries. But, um, yeah, that kind of cleared up and then, Probably about a week later, um, I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes. Um, had you, sorry, had you opted to have the, um, what, what test did you opt to have to diagnose that? Uh, yeah, so I had one of the risk factors for gestational diabetes, which is um, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I, in Australia, what we do is um, test everybody, regardless of whether they have risk factors or not. Um, and if I hadn't had risk factors, I would have gone for, I would have not tested at all. But I did have this one risk factor, so I decided to do a week of glucose monitoring. Um, so that being just testing how my sugars, how my body was responding after meals, basically. Um, and I was quite surprised because I don't fit the typical polycystic ovarian syndrome um, kind of picture. So I was expecting it would be tickety-boo. But turns out that um, I did actually have quite a few high readings and they were always after fasting. So it was fine after meals, but first thing in the morning after having fasted for 12 or so hours, um, my, my blood sugar would be quite high. Um, so then my midwife supported me to then go and get the, um, the actual test, um, which was uh, yeah it was horrible it was awful it's where you you drink the um glucose syrup and makes you feel really disgusting and um sure enough it came back that i was in fact classified as gestational diabetic um but only with my fasting which and it was like marginally over the um classification criteria so i was very annoyed but anyway that's how mm. we got there yeah. <laughs> um and, yeah, I think that's where I noticed my, my midwifery knowledge got in my way, probably the, the most in my pregnancy. I was pretty good at, um, I think, because I'd spent so much time watching how the body is so well-equipped and capable of doing such a fabulous job, I really did trust my body for um, pretty much everything, all the little processes in pregnancy, but then when it came to gestational diabetes I really got I've been working in a tertiary environment like I said before and there are a lot of women there that um, are on insulin and kind of in a high-risk category and I saw how their care was changed because of this label and so I was really wanting a home birth as well um, meant that I yeah got quite anxious about um, needing insulin and um, then being disqualified from having a home birth and I probably got like 10 steps ahead of where everyone else would be um, and Lisa had to talk me down several times and you just you can't midwife yourself you absolutely cannot um, apply yeah that knowledge um, without the guidance of someone else and I think I'm just so grateful for Lisa and um, how she yeah, help me through that because, um, yeah, many, many times she was like, Leah, you're not actually <laughs> needing insulin yet. 
just calm down. I was like, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. And we got there and I just needed to do um, a lot, big walk. So I'd go for like half an hour to an hour walk after dinner um, each evening and, yeah, just change my diet a little bit. Um, and, yeah, and I was fine. I didn't end up needing insulin. Yeah. Goodness. And did you did you need to do another test after you'd implemented those things to kind of check how you were going or that was that was pretty much just it? Uh, yeah, so I was testing my blood sugars three times a day um, for a, most of the rest of the pregnancy. I ended up dropping it once I was really confident that I was managing it well. I stopped doing it because I really found the numbers and getting focused on, um, yeah, all of the the different ranges and what I was eating was not really helpful. Once I had a ballpark of what I needed to be doing, I just stuck to that and I was fine. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. And um, it sounds like um, you managed it really well, so this might not be might not have been relevant, but to my understanding, one of the kind of concerns about gestational diabetes is that the baby can be a bit bigger than they would be otherwise. Was that yes. um, sort of, yeah, how were you measuring through your pregnancy? I was measuring really well. Um, if anything, I think I was a centimetre less, so not small, but um, just within lo- on the within normal, but smaller. Yeah. 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 Um, and I actually, when I think about it, I was not concerned about my baby at all. I knew that my baby was fine. Um, I just wanted to do the responsible thing by then. I think was the biggest thing, um, and obviously not put them at risk later down the track, but. Um, yeah, in the moment I was really, I was always really confident that they were okay. And I think the biggest thing was, like I said, just really wanting that home birth. And I know that can sound, um, a bit ridiculous to some people, but I just think it, it was actually about my safety and my baby's safety to have home birth. And so, yeah, I was really, um, concerned about missing out on that. Mm, Yeah, sure. Yeah. Mm. And so heading into your labour, what were some early signs of things getting started and how many weeks were you? So I was 38 weeks um, and four days when I went into labour and I'd been saying to my partner the whole time, um, you know, most first-time mothers go over 40 weeks and we don't even need to really think about it till then. I don't want you thinking we're going to have a baby from 37 weeks and then getting impatient and... Um, yeah, and just everything, basically everything I said to him <laughs> didn't come into play. <laughs> anyway, um, I then, I was seeing, at that stage I was seeing a friend of mine for acupuncture and I'd started at 37 weeks and it was just the most um, wonderful experience going to see her because it really just brought me out of my head, back into my body it was really helpful with um, some of the discomforts that kind of come up towards the end of pregnancy and and she's just such a beautiful practitioner. So, um, yeah, it was really wonderful to see her. And I went, I remember a 37-week appointment, I went and I was feeling a little bit achy um, and I came out just feeling really in that oxytocin bubble um, and really well. And then the following week I woke up in the morning so 38, yeah, 38 and 4, and I was feeling so sore. I had this pain that was radiating 
kind of from my um, pubic bone down into my groin, um, which isn't really something I'd heard a lot about. I was expecting more discomfort around my abdomen and in the muscles over my stomach, but yeah, it was really uncomfortable. And in retrospect, it's quite obvious to me that that was his head getting nice and um, low down in my pelvis. Um, but at the time, I was like, what on earth is this? This is really uncomfortable and weird. Anyway, so I hobbled my way into the appointment. Um, and Lauren, who I was seeing, was really beautiful. And she just said, I remember having a conversation of, oh, do we, you know, do we go, um, like, do a more intensified version of this and really get things moving? Or are we going to go gently? And she intuitively decided that it was better to go gently, which I'm very glad she did. Um so, yeah, I came out of that session just feeling, again, really relaxed and really just vague and off in this cloud. Um, and I was, I'd organised that day to meet up with another a friend of mine who had so beautifully um, suggested that we take some photos of me pregnant. Um, and she'd been trying to get me to do it for pretty much the whole pregnancy. Um and I knew that I'd love the photos so much, but I was really um, camera shy and felt really awkward about it. But anyway, she ended up um, encouraging me and getting me to do it. So I met her on um, the Birrarung River, so Warrandyte um, River, which is the Yarra. And that's where I'd spent, um, that's where we'd found out that we were pregnant. I'd spent a lot of my time living in Melbourne, um, being out there. So... Yeah, it felt really perfect and we just went for a walk along the river and she very, um, yeah, it felt very candid and natural and um, kind of organic. I didn't feel like it was stilted or anything and that was perfect. Um, so we just went for a walk and I, like, I laugh in retrospect thinking about it because I was so vague. She'd say, you know, do you want to go down here or where do you want to be? And I just thought, uh, I don't know. Maybe I feel like she really had to kind of like guide me around because <laughs> um, I was just, yeah, um, high on all the pregnancy hormones. Um, and which, again, like if I was seeing one of my um, like women clients and families that uh, were in that headspace, I would have been like, oh, yep, you're going to have a baby soon. Um, but, yeah, I was not <laughs> onto it at all for myself. Um yeah, and then I went home and it was a really dear friend of ours' birthday in the city. Uh, that night we'd organised to go in and have dinner with him and, um, yeah, so he's the partner of my best friend and midwife. Um, she's a midwife, sorry, and Adula, who I mentioned before, Summer. And mm. she, so I called them. I just was feeling really overwhelmed about the idea of driving 40 minutes into the city um, probably getting back at 10 or 11 and I was really tired and da-da-da. Um, and, yeah, Bryn was really like, well, we don't, they'll completely understand. And it took me a long time to be like, oh, fine. I didn't want to let them down. I really wanted to celebrate his birthday, la-la. Anyway, um, so I called and they were both like, yeah, you're 38 weeks pregnant. <laughs> we live like an hour away. We so don't mind at all. <laughs> Absolutely fine. I was like, oh, right, okay, cool. <laughs> um, so that was very gracious and lovely of them. And I think that was Summer's little, um, yeah, she was like, okay, I better get these bags packed. And um, her baby was actually about six, I think six and a half months then. 
Um, so she was just organising um, milk and everything for Amber. So she did that and we had takeaway pizza and um, watched a movie, I think, um, and then got into bed. And I think we'd been in bed for like 15 minutes or so, um, just turned out the lights and I felt a mild tightening Um but it was so, so mild that I was like, was that actually something? I don't know. And then like 10 minutes later I felt something again. I thought, oh, interesting. And so I put my hands on my tummy. So I'm used to palpating other women's contractions that way. So I was like, oh, I'll just see if I can feel anything. Maybe it's just a Braxton Hicks. And sure enough, um, when the next um, kind of discomfort came, I could my whole belly went rigid. And I thought, oh, interesting, okay. Um, and in that same um, tightening, I felt this, uh, I guess, drop in pressure or like a pop under my fingers. And then, and I was, abs- I was like, what was that? And then 30 seconds later, I just felt this gush of water down my legs. Um, and again, I'd said to Bryn, you know, all the movies, people's water break and it's a big pop and then they just are suddenly in labour, but that's not how it works. <laughs> and actually that's exactly what happened to me. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so I was, I just sat up and was like, oh, my God, Bryn, get me a towel. My water's just broke. Um, and, yeah, he went and grabbed a towel. I checked them and they were clear, so it just decided I, I wouldn't um, bother Robbie and Lisa with that because I felt confident baby was well. Um, and, yeah, baby had been moved And so then what do we do? Then I, I think I asked Brent to go and grab me a hot water bottle um, and we had the TENS machine. Um, and from my experience working with other families, I noticed that the TENS is really no good to anyone if you put it on when you're um, in cracking labour because it's just really... it's too intense to be navigating some machine. Um, So I put it on really early just to be mindful. I want to be used to it um, by the time I was in good labour. And good thing because in the next hour things were really picked up. Um, And I went from having kind of, yeah, just, I don't know. I never timed them because I didn't want to be fixated on numbers, but it felt like at least one in ten minutes. Um, one contraction tended to be surprised at how quickly things were um, intensifying. Mm. So then um, at about 1am um, I called Lisa and just said um, things are happening, my water broke. Um, so my water broke at quarter to 11. Yeah. And, yeah, I said since then it's just been a constant trickle, it's clear, I'm comfortable, just want you to know that I think things are happening. Um and she was like, okay, great, I can hear from what's happening that it's still a bit, um, yeah, your contraction is still a bit erratic. How about you do this, um, these positions called the rollover technique? Um, and so they come from um, spinning babies and optimal fetal positioning um, and are all about helping the baby navigate the pelvis and get into the right position. Um, and... I was really grateful that she gave us that because I think if she'd said, you know, sounds early on, they're still erratic, go back to sleep, I would have been a little bit disheartened. And also even though early labour is um, 
life easier than um, later on, it's still quite intense and you still can't sleep through it. Um, so it was really nice to have something to do and know that I was helping my baby. Um, and it also she spoke to Bryn about um, how to support me to do that, so it brought him in and, um, yeah, he just propped me up and basically you move through these three positions over a number of contractions. And I just said to Bryn, you know, once I knew what I was doing, um, and he'd found the plethora of cushions that I needed. Um, I just was like, you go have some rest. Like this could be going on for three days. Again, not right. But, um, yeah, I just continued on on my own and he slept and I, I really enjoyed that solitude um, and quietness and time to just, um, yeah, connect in with my baby and just do what we needed to do, I guess. Um, and then, at and, um, do you mind me asking, how did you find the tens machine? Did you, yeah, was it helpful for you at all? Oh, it was amazing. I, yeah, by the time I wanted to get into the bath, which is a bit later on, but I, yeah, I did not want to part with it. I was like, all right, Bryn, you have like, I don't know, 30 seconds, maybe a minute to pull this off me. And I want, I don't want a contraction without the tens or the water. Like I have to have one of them. Mm. Um, so, and he did manage that. Thank you, Bryn. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was fantastic. It was really helpful. And I found um, repetition and rhythm became really important to me. And I'd seen that in other um, families' labours. And so I, yeah, it was it was really helpful. And I think a lot of like um, birth skills, so Juju speaks about finding rhythm and um, stamping your feet and doing distraction techniques. Um, and I think the TENS provides that. It kind of gives you something to do and to feel, um, I guess, proactive. And then also something that's quite um, good at distracting you. And it, it basically interrupts the pain signals. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. without rambling on too much, it was really great. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, at what point did you feel like it was time to call Lisa again? Um, so I think probably about 3.30 I started saying to Bryn, I think we need to call Lisa again. Um, and I think that's because I was wary of how quickly things were progressing. Um, and so, yeah, about 4 o'clock I think we ended up calling Lisa. And she was wonderful again. Just so It was so nice to hear this really calm, really... Um, happy yeah just wonderful voice on the end of the phone just being like yeah that sounds really good what you're doing sounds perfect um she very gently said to me um i am at another birth um and i remember i think just as she said it i felt another contraction coming and i just couldn't even respond to her but and I think she was like, she said something like, are you okay? Does that sound like that might be stressful for you? And I was like, no, 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 that's fine, whatever. Like I knew Brenda and I were um, doing really well and I just wanted her to know what was happening and that was fine if she couldn't be there straight away. Um, so then I said, I'm kind of getting to that point where I need something else. Um, what do you, like, can I get in the bath? What do you think about me getting in the bath? And she was like, of course you can get in the bath. Um, and yeah, that 
to me was I think I was also testing her because I thought I don't think she'll let me get in the bath if she thinks it's really early still um, which may or may not be true but that's what I was telling myself um, and so when she said yes I was like okay so things actually happening that's what I thought but <laughs> that's good um, yeah and so I asked Bryn to start running the bath and of course we hadn't even done the test blow up of the bath because I was like we're not having a baby for another few weeks we'll do that later um, and actually I think we planned to do it that night but I was so overwhelmed and sore that I was like oh we'll do it another night anyway ended up being that night so poor Bryn was downstairs trying to navigate this um, bath and the pumps and the hoses and it was in very foreign territory um, but yeah he did that we were in a um, a chapel that had been restored and turned into a uh, house and so it was quite a small space um, which was really nice because he could be downstairs and I could hear him pottering away and and I was just happily upstairs doing my own thing but comforted by him being just there um, so yes anyway I then labored upstairs um, for I don't know how much longer um, until he called and said, you know, you can come downstairs, bath's ready. And I remember actually leaning over, we had like a balustrade, I guess, upstairs, and leaning over and bending my knees and kind of like dipping down into a deep squat with each contraction. And again, that like rhythm of just doing that, I kind of got stuck in a little um, cycle of doing it. It was really helpful. And I kind of understood how people say they were dancing through their labour because um, it really felt quite rhythmic and it definitely wasn't, I've always been like, dancing? <laughs> how can you dance <laughs> in such an intense situation? But I really understand that now. Um, anyway, so I was doing that and then he said, yep, you can come downstairs. And I remember coming down the stairs and he'd lit the candles and put fairy lights on and turned off all the awful bright lights and the pool was feeling, there's the sound of running water and, yeah, I just had a moment on the stairs being like, wow. <laughs> This is, yeah, this is, it was a bit surreal, I guess. Um, something that I helped some, set up. Yeah. I've seen some photos and it's such a beautiful space. Oh, it was, yeah, it was perfect. It was like the best birth space. Mm. I'm not sure if the original old owners of the chapel would have thought that, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, not many people can say they're born in a, in a chapel. No. <laughs> it was funny when we moved in, um, our friends and who owned the property were saying, you know, it's a beautiful place to conceive and little did we know we were already pregnant. Um, <laughs> but, yes, so, yeah, I came downstairs and I just thought that was amazing and, yeah, I think it was really surreal as well because I'd set this up for other people so many times and then for it to be done for me just at, yeah, it was just amazing. Anyway. Hmm. Um, and then sure enough I was back in the next contraction and not focusing on the beauty around me but um, yeah I then was like all right I think I need to call Summer <laughs> so I made which also to me shows how early on I thought I was I think intuitively I knew things were picking up they were going really well it was actually happening fairly fast but um, yeah another part of me was in a bit of Denial, I think trying to keep myself safe from being disappointed if it did go on for three days. Um, and, yeah, so the idea that I could call Summer and talk to her on the phone was ridiculous. But anyway, I called her and she picked up and then a contraction came and I was 
making all kinds of sounds and we didn't really need to say much. I think she was like, okay, I'm on my way out. And I was like, great, and hung up the phone. Um, and I probably should have really called um, Steffi then, but um, I was very – so Steffi, sorry, was our doula um, who I have had a um, lovely belonging and, yeah, anyway. So I decided I really wanted to work with her in my pregnancy. And, um, yes, so I had Steffi and I had, was hesitant to call um, because I think I, it was a hang-up from being a midwife of being like, I don't want to wake her in the middle of the night if it's not the real thing. And being on the other side of that phone call, it's really hard to go back to sleep sometimes because you're excited and anticipating and I am I going to have to wake up in 45 minutes anyway. Anyway, so I didn't call her. Um and eventually someone, Bryn or Summer, did, and she did get there in time, thank goodness. But, yeah, um, I think Lisa must have said, I'll be, I'm on my way when I spoke to her at 4 a.m. Um, and so, yeah, I just hopped in the bath. And that relief, like I said, like moving from having the tens, which had been so fantastic, and then the relief of um, getting in the water was just, yeah, amazing. I can't think of a better pairing of non-pharmacological um pain relief it was just yeah it was really good so got in the bath and just felt like I kind of like melted into it um and from that I think around that point my contractions started to really space out um and then summer arrived not long after and I distinctly remember the sound because my eyes were closed basically from when I got in the bath all my memories are very um, they're visual, I think, through what I've seen in the photos, but a lot of it is just sound. And I remember hearing the um, gentle murmur of Summer's voice in the background and just being really relieved. Um, mm. And yeah, just really excited that she was there. And I think from her perspective, um, she saw, so she came in, she saw me in the bath. I had these big kind of spaces between contractions, and not long after, I was saying, oh, my back. I think she was thinking, oh, God, here we go. We've got a posterior baby here. Um, I don't know. That's just something I thought might have crossed her mind. Um, and she was amazing at helping me with that back pain, um, which had only just started when I got in the water. And, again, in retrospect, I think that was um, my baby's bones moving against mine and really opening up my pelvis. Um and not just yeah, changing the ligaments, but now changing the, the bone structure. Um, yeah. And yeah, she just used acupressure points to one, two um, fingers on my sacrum, and it was amazing for relieving that intensity. Um, and she kind of showed Bryn how to do it, and he must have had something else to go and do. I don't know. Um, probably asked him to get water or something and so he took his hands off my sacrum at some point and I remember just being like my back <laughs> um, and Summer just came in again and was just amazing um, and kind of re yeah completely relieved that and got me to the other side of that um, that short period of time that was really intense and and Lisa I'm a bit vague in this bit about when people showed up, but Lisa and Steffi came, um, I think, within half an hour of each other and they were there. Um, and Robbie, so 
um, another fantastic midwife um, and my backup midwife uh, was still at the other birth. And so there was a little bit of, um, I don't know what you'd call it. It wasn't stress, but I, other, they were chatting about, you know, some as a midwife, she knows what's going on, um, which is great. But we weren't quite sure I probably was going to get there um, in time. I wasn't bothered at all. Again, I was like, that's fine. I'm just pushing out this baby no matter what you're doing. Um, and, yeah, I started feeling my baby moving lower into my pelvis and I was really expecting an overwhelming urge to push. Um, but it didn't really happen like that for me. It was just, yeah, just him moving lower and lower and just the intensity of the sensation just going to a whole new level. Um, and I had asked Bryn just in the last, um, I think, yeah, once Lisa had arrived, just asked him to put on a playlist that I'd um, only just put together the week before and it only had like, I don't know, eight or so songs on it and we'd listened to it like 400 times by the end of the birth. <laughs> um, but I remember just really soaking in in those interludes between the contractions, just the um, the music and the sound of people creaking around on the floorboards and I was hyper aware of what was happening um, and just really enjoying that time. Um yeah, and then at some stage after that I started pushing um, and I think my body was pushing and moving him down kind of passively before that but then I really um, started feeling like it was time to push and so um, I started pushing. Lisa popped a little um, mirror into the bath for me. I was kind of kneeling um, and so I could see what was happening and there wasn't much to see initially. Um, and I, she suggested I just have a little feel of what was happening with baby's head. Um, oh, that's a bit I kind of skimmed over before. Earlier when I spoke to Lisa, she did suggest that I um, have a feel for um, the baby's head, so at 4 a.m. Um, and I was really over, that was the most overwhelmed I've been in the whole, I'd been in the whole labour, and I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to do that? this massive belly in front of me, um, getting contractions, like feels like on top of each other. Oh, my God. Anyway, so I attempted that and I felt some firm thing. But to my in my mind, I was like, oh, I couldn't possibly be feeling a baby's head yet. It must be the pressure of the baby's head kind of through the cervix. Um, and mm. anyway, I just kind of was like, yep, Lisa, there's something there. I can't really tell what's going on with the um the cervix I think I was super vague I was just like yep yeah, no whatever I can't do it <laughs> um, and so then feeling it again I could really be like oh okay I can feel baby's head a little bit lower um, mm. and it's something that I've um, encouraged some of the people I work with to do when they're in labor and now I'm even more sure that that's what I'm going to do when I go back to working because it was really helpful for me to just be like wow look there's progress and it feels a bit different now and, yeah, it was really good. So um, I – and then that's right, I remember saying to Bryn, do you want to feel your baby's head? And I couldn't actually see – and I've now seen photos of this epic smile on his face, but I could just feel him being like, oh, okay, um, and just this massive smile. So, yeah, I guided his hand and he felt the baby's head, which was, yeah, a really beautiful moment. Um and a fleeting moment as well because the next 
contraction was there and I was back on, um, back on focusing on the labour and the sensations that were going on. Um, and just trying to think what happened. No, that's all right. Yeah, just kind of kept on pushing. And eventually I saw a little bit of my baby's head in, in the middle of a contraction and that was, yeah, an amazing moment. And um, as the baby's coming down, the head will like kind of often it'll come, you'll see it in the contraction and then it will um, kind of go back up again. And I've watched many people be really disappointed by that because you're working so hard and you see this little bit of your baby's head and then it's gone again. Um, but I was thrilled because I knew that that was doing lots of really good stretching. It was actually happening quite quickly. I was, yeah, I was really happy. So um, kept doing that and, yeah, just kept seeing more and more of baby's head. And we'd had a bit of a um, discussion about Bryn catching baby. So I was really like, I want to be kind of helping his head come down or their head. Um, we didn't know what we were having. Um, and so I I did that. That little bit was very midwifey of me, very control freaky. Um, <laughs> I was like, no, I'm doing that bit. Um, and yeah, his head was born. Um, and I thought we'd so usually there's a bit of a space, particularly with first time labours, and you have a pause in between contractions, and then the body comes. And that's when I was thinking, Bryn could come around and help receive um, our baby but that was again not how it played out um, and he just kind of shot out into the water um, and just before that I could actually feel so his head was born and I could feel him restituting so turning um, and aligning what they do just before the rest of their body's born and I was like I said something that now sounds so ridiculous but I was like uh my baby's coming <laughs> like it was coming <laughs> right then and I was really alarmed um, and Lisa was just, again, really calm and said, that's okay, just let him cut, let the baby come. Um, <laughs> and I was like, okay. And sure enough, out he shot. Um, yeah, and I just scooped my baby out of the water and um, he gave a really wonderful cry straight away and his little back was covered in vernix. Um, and, yeah, I... I yeah, he was not big in any way. He was perfect, perfect for my body. And I should have said that earlier. So if uh, another reason why I wasn't worried is because I did get my sugars under control. And so my risk profile was actually, um, once my sugars were controlled, was exact, exactly the same as anyone else birthing without gestational diabetes. So I wasn't worried. And sure enough, he was perfect. Um, and, yeah, he gave a really decent cry and, I was just in Bryn's arms and holding uh, so holding Sonny, as we knew his name was, as soon as we saw him, really, um, and just, yeah, wrapped out his arms around us and, yeah, it was magic. Mm, it was really so beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> and how long did you stay in the birth pool for? Um, so this is where in my labour my midwife brain got in the way. Um, <laughs> I was really impatient for my placenta to be birthed um, and I think, again, as much as I had been cultivating information um, and knowledge about physiology and trust in physiology, I have worked in a tertiary hospital for such a long time. I've seen 
the majority of births of placentas have been um, actively managed, so with um, the hormone, uh, syntocinin, and I don't think I did have full trust in that. And I think I was, as much as I, on a philosophical level, absolutely believe in it, yeah, I don't think I had that knowledge base to back it up. And so I was quite concerned about transferring. I was like, I've had this beautiful home birth. My baby's here. I do not want to go to hospital, so let's get this thing out of here, um, which is really counterintuitive for actually birthing a placenta because you don't need stress hormones and you don't need a time limit. Um, but anyway, I kind of, I think I even potentially pretended that I was actually feeling my afterbirth pains when I wasn't. <laughs> I was, um, yeah, it's like yank, not yanking, but I was definitely giving a good old little tug on the cord to see if I could feel it moving down. Um, and Lisa was looking at me going, are you feeling the contractions? And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but I wasn't. So very dangerous. Don't do not do that. Um, and, and, yeah, anyway, eventually, so I kind of expedited the move. I really got us out of the bath quite quickly because I – I got him on. I tried to breastfeed him um, to stimulate those contractions coming, and and I still, you know, wasn't coming within two seconds of starting that. So I was like, "All right, next." Um, and so we got out of the bath, um, and there was really minimal bleeding. So I couldn't see the water was just as clear as when I'd gone in, um, pretty much. And one of the signs that your placenta is coming is a little bit of. Um, separation bleed so I was looking for that I couldn't see it and I thought right, moving on getting out the path um and went and I squatted over a pot and um Lisa and Robbie did Lisa or Robbie I don't know who someone did acupressure on my shoulders um to help the placenta come I think I had some of um a amazing local herbalist Julie Bell I think I she makes up a tincture for helping the placenta come I think I had some of that um and, yeah, that didn't happen. The whole time Lisa was just like, it's okay, it'll come when it's ready, calm down. I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, come on. <laughs> um, and then we moved to the toilet, which was a wonderful idea. Um, and Lisa cleverly wrapped um, my, like, the scarf or a bozo that I had um, wrapped Sunny around my chest. So he was there tucked in feeding and I just sat on the toilet um, and not long after my placenta came. Mm. Yeah, so it probably actually was about 45 minutes, um, but it felt like, which isn't long, and it felt like a really long time to me. Um, yeah, and then we just moved to the little day bed um, that looks out over the forest. It was very beautiful. Um, and I was just checked to see if I needed any stitches, which I didn't. Um and, yeah, I put that down, not needing stitches to lots of things, but I put that down to being able to move freely and how I wanted to, but also the amount of control that I felt that I had um, and awareness of what was happening when I was pushing because I was feeling his head the whole time. So I could really feel what my effort was equating to um, yeah. and just making sure that it wasn't happening too fast. Um, anyway, so, yeah, we lay there and um, I decided to do cord burning um, to separate the placenta um, from Sunny. And that 
um, felt it was really interesting when I was planning to birth. I wasn't planning for the home. I didn't really say I wanted this, 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 and this for the home birth because um, I knew those things would all kind of just happen. But where I was planning was if we did transfer, and one of the biggest things to me was that I wanted the cord and the placenta, like the placenta, to stay connected to Sunny, so that uh, when we did go home, I would be able to do something special and kind of bring in that um, reverence for the process that maybe wouldn't have been able to happen in hospital. Um, so we'd spoken about cord burning and um, I'm really glad that we did it because that was such an emotional time for me, much more than I'd expected. It was really big. I, yeah, had a bit of a, a cry, I think, as um, it was being separated. So what you do with that is have two candles underneath the cord and it just um, cauterizes it and basically um, separates it and stops. You ca it can't bleed the cord can't bleed out then and it's also um, antimicrobial, antibacterial, etc. Um, and it's quite a long process. Like it didn't take that long for us, but it was probably about 20 minutes. Um, and but I actually think that's perfect because it gives you the time to pay attention to actually quite a big thing where otherwise it might be um, a bit kind of brushed over. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and we did, and I asked Summer and Bryn to do that while I was feeding Sunny, and that felt really precious as well, to have my best friend and um, my partner doing that. Yeah, that was really special. Mm, it's so beautiful. Yeah. And, yeah, you've mentioned you, you'd already fed him quite a lot during that very early time. Um, how did, how was his breastfeeding latch and how did you yeah what was the rest of your breastfeeding journey like up until now I suppose um not what I expected <laughs> which <laughs> it was um well not initially anyway I had obviously helped lots of people um with breastfeeding and had seen lots of challenges in breastfeeding and I put a lot of that down to um interventions and environment and um I really it was really humbling for me to be breastfeeding and um, I had some challenges initially that I didn't foresee. Um, nothing big but just the first two weeks was uh, quite painful and difficult and he had quite a small mouth um, and found it difficult to attach. Um, and luckily I'd done some um, expressing in pregnancy so we just fed him um, syringes of colostrum in the first few days and I'd just attach him when I could. Um, but we just had, it was, so it was autumn, um, but it was already quite cold by then. And we had this fire in the chapel. It was amazing, but it was way too efficient for the chapel. So we'd have the fire on and all the doors open and all the windows open. Um, and like you get sitting in bed, I get an icy breeze, then followed by like, um, an absolute heat wave <laughs> from the fire. So we didn't have it on overnight, um, sometimes and, we eventually figured out that I think I was having vasospasms um, and so my nipples were responding. It's like, um, what do you call it, chill blains, similar. Um, so really, really painful stabbing sensations, which I initially thought might have been nipple thrush um, but had no other symptoms and took a little while to get on to that. But once we realised we had to have the fire on constantly, it, it resolved mm. um, and that was probably about the two-week mark. Um, and it became a lot more comfortable. But, yeah, that that was really intense. It was intense to manage that as well as, you know, having a baby and um, 
you know, navigating the sleep and feeding ourselves and everything and then also, um, yeah, having such discomfort. So I really feel really also gave me insight into women who have tears and other things going on of how enormous that is. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, but, yeah, after that two weeks it um, was fine. I got almost got mastitis. Um, so I got engorged because when my milk came in, my baby wasn't attaching very well, um, so it wasn't draining milk properly. And I'd actually just come out of an appointment with Lisa and got in the car and was feeling fine. And she'd said in the appointment, oh, that area looks a little bit red. And I was like, okay, I'll massage it. It'll be okay. And got in the car and I got such intense shakes and um, ligors that I could hardly speak to Bryn. All of a sudden I was like, oh, cool, Lisa. Um and, yeah, I just said, I'm getting my status. What do I do? Because um, my I've now noticed my training was pretty lacking in that um, of how to um, help with my status. And she was fantastic and she just said, you know, you need to get the hucker on, you need to be draining that breast, you need to be massaging it, you need to get onto Julie Bell's herbs. Um, and so, yeah, it was very intense trying to coordinate getting all of that, um, all of the herbs and everything in that first little bit. But we did and worked really hard and managed to kick it um, with the help of all of that and Nurofen and Panadol and anyway, it was gone, thankfully. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I didn't have any more problems with mastitis um, or oversupply or anything. Um, yeah, and we've had a really good breastfeeding journey since then and mm. something, yeah, something I love. And it's funny, the other day I was saying, oh, I'm not going to be that person that's like, oh, I'm going to stop breastfeeding, boo-hoo. Um, but then I definitely am that person. I really understand. Again, really humbling, um, just considering going back to work um, what, at some point after Sunny's a year old and just thinking of, how, yeah, how sad I'll be that we won't be feeding as often. And mm. um, I'm, Our breastfeeding is just really I try and let him dictate um that I'm just waiting for I don't know if he shows signs of wanting to do it less and then also navigating what I need um but I don't know when it will end but I know that I will be sad (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, definitely (laughs) yeah and um and you mentioned towards the end of your pregnancy that was when we kind of went into the first lockdown so Mm. um that was only for a few weeks so what were the restrictions like during your early postpartum were you able to have much in-person support? Um, again, it's quite vague what stage we were at. I think pretty quickly <laughs> it moved into you could just have carers, yeah. You could, um, I, well, um, women who had just had babies um, could receive care from a family member, I think. Well, I think it was anyone at that stage. It was that you could have um, one carer that came to your house. Um, so that designated person was my mother-in-law my family was in the blue mountains um and yeah she was fantastic and the other thing that was an absolutely incredible particularly because I couldn't see anyone um was having a food train or a food roster organized um and so friends were able to do contactless drop-off or my mother-in-law could pick up the food and bring it to us and we actually had meals prepared for us for up to five weeks. Um, and mm. the first first um, four weeks, 
I think was every single day. There wasn't one day that we were cooking dinner. Um, and it was my partner just had to warm it up. And that was profound. It was mm-hmm. really, really big. And, yeah, I'd already thought it was fantastic. And, but I, I did struggle with receiving, which I didn't think would be a problem. But, again, um, I've not been raised in a society that thinks it is okay um, to receive that much support. So I did feel a bit uncomfortable about it. But um, when I did get it, I was just, yeah, it was made such a difference to us. And I can just see how that would, that alone could keep someone breastfeeding for longer. That's one less thing to think about. Um, and yeah, so that was really big. And actually, I felt like initially not, like having the restrictions and people not being able to visit us was really helpful because I could just focus on my baby and not feel rude and go through all of the motions of trying to not have visitors um, because I knew that that was important and it was hard to fight. I'm quite a social person and I really love um, seeing people as everyone does and, yeah, I would have definitely had people over even though I didn't want to Um, and I'm glad that I couldn't um, in that Mm. respect because it really just gave me the time I needed. And, yeah, it wasn't until much later that probably a couple of months in that I uh, really felt the effects of being in lockdown as a mother. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm sure we could keep talking for hours, but um, that feels like a nice place to stop. And, yeah, yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. Um, it's really it's such a um, oxytocin hit to go back into your own birth story again um, yeah and like I said I'm really hopeful that um, other people can listen and get something out of it yeah. yeah thank you I'm sure that they I'm sure that they will Thank you for tuning into this week's episode with Leah. You can find photos of her gorgeous chapel birth on the website www.kitbirthwild.com.au. You can also follow Leah on Instagram at Leah M. Daniel to see more beautiful photos of Sunny, her home and garden and various creative projects. Leah will be co-hosting a birth circle for women in their childbearing years in her hometown of Warrandyte starting this coming March, so definitely follow her Instagram to find out more updates if you're interested in that. Leah is also offering phone consultations for families wanting to understand their maternity care options, covering things like differences in models of care, what what gestation you need to be when applying for various programs, and where to get referrals for your chosen model of care. If you're interested in that or know someone who would benefit from Leah's knowledge and experience, jump on her Instagram and send her a DM. If you're enjoying the podcast and are financially able to, please consider signing up as a Patreon supporter. You can commit to a small monthly donation starting at $1 per week. This helps to support me to continue making the show and 25% of all the proceeds are donated to a charity supporting Indigenous midwives and midwifery students to be able to study and provide culturally appropriate care for Indigenous birthing people. You can find links to Patreon and find out more about where your donation goes on my website www.keepbirthwild forward slash donate. And in the show notes, you can find links to Leah's Instagram as well as the prenatal yoga class she attended during pregnancy and her acupuncturist Chinese medicine practitioner. And I look forward to bringing you another episode next week.